Welcome on back to the Tony Parks Podcast. One of our favorite guests ever uh, for this show or any show I've ever had a chance to be on. One of my favorite people in the world, Coach Frank Layden, uh, right here on the Tony Parks Podcast. Coach, how are you? Well, I'm doing great. And I know why I'm one of your favorites because I work cheap. (laughs) In fact, I work free. I have that nice watch coming your way. It got they got lost in the mail, the mail somewhere yeah. a couple of years ago. You know. <laughs> How have you been? By the way, I know it's been a, a crazy well, good. You know, last I mean, few months. I tell you, this is uh, you know these these are troubled times, and people you know will say, but you know uh, for for people around the world that there's there's always trouble. Uh, you know, uh, uh, things worse than this. We'll get through this. And, and we're very fortunate that we do live in America and we, we do worry about our neighbors and we do work together and, and there's a lot of people out there that care about us. And, and so, you know, it, it could be a lot worse and, and we just got to make the most of it and help our neighbors. You know, I look at this, Tony, as an opportunity. This is an opportunity to learn. I'm reading some things I, I had put aside. I'm watching some films I had missed. Uh, uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm making contact on phone calls with players that go back, friends of mine that go back to my days when I was when I was playing myself or when I was coaching in high school, and you know uh, renewing old acquaintances and 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 catching up. So uh, you know I I can't say anything good about it. it. It certainly is a horrible thing, and we're losing so many uh, wonderful people in America and and. You know, I, I'm not sure that it's it, it looks any better than it did, you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago. But you know, we, we'll get through it. And 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 it, like I say, I look at it maybe as an opportunity for us all to be a little bit better about our neighbors, yeah. uh, about immigration, about about religion, about uh, uh, people of other of other origins. You know, we 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 need to be a little kinder. And oh. I know you're that way. You're a special guy. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate you being nice to me about that. Uh, what is the best thing you've read since all of this happened? Well, uh, at the present time, I'm reading a very good book, and I would highly recommend it. Uh, it it's a guy. It's a book by a guy by the name of Eric Lawson, who has written a couple of, uh, of very good books in, in recent years. He writes about the, uh, he, you know, about about history. And, uh, you know, uh, in the Garden of Beasts was a thing about the, the beginning of, of the Nazis in Germany and what have you. But this is a book about one of my favorite people, and it's called uh, the, uh, the, the Splendid and the Vice. Uh, uh, it's, it's, a, uh, it's, a, uh, it's a book about Winston Churchill, and it's, uh, it's terrific. And uh, it's about what he went through uh, when, when uh, you know, war was impending on England. And, you know, uh, all the things that were not a lot of things from behind the scenes that we never realized. And so it's very interesting. But I, you know, I, I, I read all sorts of books. I read, I don't read just serious stuff, but, you know, what have you. I know I said the, the, the Splendid and the Vile, not the Splendid and the Vice, but mm. I recommend it very highly. Okay. Eric Lawson, very good. I'm going to check that out. What has been your favorite conversation besides this one? Of course, we, we know that's number one, but like with one of your favorite players, like what, uh, what was the well, one you, you know what? On to? Yesterday, you know, the surprises of calls. For out of, out of a clear blue sky yesterday, I get a call from a player, and he was he was one of my favorite players because I thought he was a real professional. Uh, and this was Marcus Ivoroni, and Marcus Ivoroni was a was a tough guy and a hard player, and 
and he got everything he could out of his skills. He ended up doing some coaching, and uh, and now he's retired, moving to Florida, and he just called to see how I was doing. And you know, something like that was uh, is terrific. And I've heard I've heard from a couple of young people who are young, but they're not young anymore. But they they played for me when I was coaching in high school, and so. Uh, but uh, you know, and and we talk about the past, which is fine. We talk about, you know, one one conversation was interesting. One of my old play, high school players reminded me that the last high school game I ever coached, and I, I coached for a little Catholic school, very much like Judge Memorial here in Utah. And you know, we we had about uh, two hundred boys, but we could have played the Knicks, you know, because we 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 recruited kids to play for us and everything. Mm-hmm. But anyway, what happened was. Uh, we we ended the season playing a school uh, called New York Military Academy, which is located up state New York near West Point. And we we it was an overnight game, which you know high school kids are so excited about staying at a hotel, and we ate out, and we took the parents with us, and everything. I didn't know it was going to be my last high school game that I would move on to college coaching, but anyway, that's how we were ending the season. We had a very very good team, and New York Military Academy. And on that team was none other than the pre- our present president of the United States, Donald Trump. Really? So you know, you coached him. World. You coached Donald Trump. I, no, I didn't coach him. I coached against him. Oh, that okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, I got, yeah. I got crossed. So out. if I coached him, he'd be a lot better co- president oh, than he is now. Oh, I knew some kind of <laughs> shot was coming out. And Frank Layden from downtown. Yeah. <laughs> Did you did you win the game? Did you did you of did you beat them? Okay. We win. We were very very good though too. You know, uh-huh. so I can't can't say that. Yeah. Do you? Uh, anyway, whenever you see him, the old box scores. Oh yeah. Whenever yeah. you see him, do you think to yourself, "I beat that dude. <laughs> I beat that guy." Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is um? You know, you have uh, you and I have had so many conversations at the ballpark, or just over the phone, or or running into one another somewhere. What what is your favorite memory in your life to revisit? Well, I tell you, uh, one a very exciting time in my life, and one that I, it was good because I was able to share with the family, and I was able to bring them forward. All right, was uh, when I coached the nineteen eighty four Western All Stars in the All Star game in the NBA. It gave us a chance to, I had my, my daughter involved I, uh, as a ball girl, and, and my, my son, uh, Michael, uh, was a ball boy, and, and Scott was an assistant coach, and, and Barbara, of course, was there for the for the celebration. You know, we had a dinner the night before, and uh, we went out afterwards, and that was it was a wonderful weekend in which, like I could say, the whole family had a chance to get together, and we met some of the giants of the game, you know, uh, the, the, at those times, you know, I'm thinking of Magic Johnson and and uh, you know uh, uh, the players, the caliber of players that were at the game, and it was exciting. You know, we had uh, Adrian Danley was on the team from the Jazz, as was uh, uh, Ricky Green. You know, so that was that was a big a big time for me. You know, what was your favorite part about all of that? I mean, just just that practices were probably you know everybody's cool. I, think, I, think, games, I right? think it was the idea of sharing it, and and it was on national TV which got a lot of calls from friends of mine back in Brooklyn where I grew up. And a lot of people just saying, congratulations, it's good, it was good to see you, and what have you. And, you know, it, it, it just was, it was it was a weekend that 
uh, gave me a lot of legitimacy. I mean, you know, right. suddenly there I was, you know, being being the uh, the coach of uh, of the Western All Stars. So in, in, a, in a game that was not, not uh, coached, it, uh, it was shown internationally uh, uh, for basketball. So that was a big time. And then you know there were other times. I, I think when I when I'm making the uh, blooper tapes with Marv <laughs> Alps, you know, and uh, and that was a lot of fun, you know, and. But you know, uh, any I, I don't know. You, as you know, you knew about me. I had a lot of fun doing a lot of different things. Yeah. Sometimes maybe too much. I remember. I remember. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Larry Miller, a great owner and uh, a great guy. When he used to say to me, "I don't know, you don't take it serious enough. You're always laughing and fooling around and what have you." And I said, "Well, it's only a game. <laughs> Let's relax. <laughs> it was only a game for me, but it was." It was his livelihood, so I could see where he thought we should be more serious. Oh, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, was was there a moment that you thought to yourself, you know what, I might be taking this too far? Like, this is, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, All the I'm time. Gonna, oh, yeah. So you always and knew I, you were going to get a call. <laughs> I would have, I would have, I would have changed, I would have changed my life. If I look back on my life and now, you know, uh, that I've been retired and I've been out of the game, and now especially when we're going through this uh, period of which there are no professional sports, I look and I say, what would have I changed? There's a couple of things, not many, you know, I felt good about going into coaching. I was urged to do that by my college coach and by my high school coach who were wonderful men who had a, a very, very positive effect on my life. And I thought, you know, yeah, this is, this is a job I can, I can help people out and what have you. And teaching and coaching was, was always a, a lot of fun. And I had fun with the kids. And I enjoyed staying in the game. You know, people ask me all the time, do you miss coaching? I said, no, I miss playing. I coached instead of playing. And, and you know, I, I would have played all my life if I could have, you know. And, I, uh, you know, it, it, to, to me, I looked forward to playing. It was fun to play. And I, I wonder sometimes about these players who say, you know, they, 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 they don't want to play unless they get paid and all that. And I would have played free. And I know a lot of people would still feel that way, you know. I mean, playing sports for a living, my goodness, you know. Or being part of sports, whether whether it be coaching. If I hadn't coached, I guess I would have refereed. I, you know, I did some high school umpiring and, and, uh, and football refereeing and stuff, you know, make extra money. But, you know, I think, think but what, what have I changed? I would have changed my approach to the officials, to the referees. I think I was too tough on them, and that brought, it made it tough on me, and I think they made it tough on me by doing it, and they took some of the fun out of the game, all right? And that, that was one thing that I would have changed. I would have, I would have tried to say, I don't think I'll ever get a technical foul, and I mean that, and, and I don't think it was, any part of it was really funny when those uh, referees have a tough job mm -hmm. and, and, and it's a thankless job. And of course, uh, you know, uh, uh, they, 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 they're in it because they love the game and, 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 uh, and eventually, uh, even now I think they get paid pretty well, but it wasn't always that way, but I would have changed that how I handle the referees. So the second thing I would have done, if I had to change anything, I would have changed how I handled the, the, the uh, altercation with uh, with Adrian Danley. I should have been more mature. I, sh I was the father in this situation. I never quite knew why he was holding out. Or I, you know, his, I saw his agent on TV the other day, and and I never quite understood what they were getting at. They were looking for 
recognition. They wanted they wanted him to get credibility, and I guess by making more money, that's that's what what we could have done. And I thought I was trying to save money for our organization. And you know what? Maybe if I had gotten a bonus for doing that, I never was quite sure what we could afford. But I know this: that uh, after we signed him. And and I had nothing to do with it, by the way. The the owners uh, got involved, and and the uh, the lawyers and what have you. And they took care of business. And the next thing, he was back. And I said, okay, let's go. And in fact, I realized I didn't have the authority anyway. So I said, why did I get this brain damage? We should have signed him right away and given him whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. And you know, they, I think somebody said, I don't know what what famous baseball player, baseball manager, or general manager said it, but. You know, we don't overpay the stars. We overpay mediocrity. And and that's where, you know, you, you can't pay Michael Jordan too much money or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or, or Magic Johnson or Larry Bird. You know, whatever they make, they earn. People come to see them. They help you to win, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but but uh, you look down your bench, and then you have a, a bunch of guys that are being overpaid. And, uh, and that's where it was. So I should have, if I had to do over again, I would have said, what do you guys want? Yeah, go ahead, take it. Let's go on. Let's move on. It wasn't. It wasn't my money, and 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 I I, I look at it. I didn't get, make any more about. It. And you know, in reality, coaches make money, and the coaches' salaries go through the sky. Why? Because of what the players make. The players inadvertently took a lot of people with them when they were. Uh, when they, uh, you know, held out and whatever they did, their unions and what have you. But uh, what can I say? Uh, the people, the, the fans uh, seem to want to see them play. They're willing to pay the prices. That's what business is all about. When they don't show up, the, the, the salaries will come down. Mm-hmm. The value of the teams will come down. But as long as they're coming out there and they want to they wanna keep seeing the teams and television pays them a lot of money, then God bless them, you know. I... Personally, I think I mentioned this before. I never knew what I made. I swear, Barbara knew. My my wonderful wife. She she was the the accountant. I never knew knew what I made. I just I used a, a, a credit card. I, I bought whatever I wanted. To, you know, I in fact, when I was in college, I was just talking to the athletic director in Niagara, and I was coaching at Niagara. I never had a new car, and I never cared. You know, it never bothered me. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next thing, I was working for a guy who, who made cars, you know, or sold cars or created cars or something, Larry Miller. And then he always had me in a nice car. But I didn't care. I never cared. And I don't care now. I drive a an old bomb now, you know, mm-hmm. as you've seen. And no, <laughs> people say, oh, look at that Frank Layden's car. No, that couldn't be. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I know when you pull up the Italian restaurant, I know a couple of things. One, <laughs> I'm going to get manicotti. And two... I know exactly what car to look for. And when I see it, I know he's here. Um, You were quick-witted. You were funny. You knew how to make a point as well. But as you're just saying there, did you feel like there were times where you had a bitter streak in you or that you were too petty at times or or that you held a grudge maybe too often? Yeah, yeah, most of the time I think you do, you know. I mean, I uh, and and one of the things you got to be careful about, especially when there are so many games, that you look out and you see who the referees are and you're mad already. And you go, oh, these guys don't like me. and let's, let's go on from there. Like I said, that would have been a, a phase of my life that I would have changed. And uh, I don't know if it would have helped us have a better record or anything else. I, I think referees are like anybody else. I think some are fast, some aren't, 
Some are honest, some aren't. You know, it's it, coaches are the same way or politicians or anything else. And, uh, you know, I just don't think that, uh, you know, I used to say to myself, well, I'm defending my team, I'm defending my players. And yet I was very strict. You know, as a team, the Jazz got very few technicals. I didn't tolerate it. But I used to say to the players that uh, it wasn't good. And, and so, but but I got my share. And, uh, and it cost me a lot of money, too. You know, I mean, uh, I guess there were some teams that probably their teams paid their fines, but they didn't. When I was with the Jazz, they didn't pay mine. Oh, really? So, but anyway, it's a phase that I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want to be bitter. You know, you don't want to take the fun out of the game. Yeah, right. I, I felt that, you know, it is, it shouldn't be. And, and, you know, I really, I remember one time saying that when we played the great seven game series with the Lakers, and that might have been the greatest team ever, you know, it was a, they were well coached by Pat Riley and they had, you know, Kareem and, and, and Magic and Worthy and all those guys. And that was a wonderful team. And we took them seven games and it was great. And, you know, when it was over, all right, and uh, and and I was a little upset with the officiating in the seventh game, in fact. But after it was over, we were sitting up there, and I said to Pat Riley, boy, that was fun, wasn't it? And he said it sure was. In other words, he said, let's do it again. You know, even though we lost, it was great. It was fun. And and I remember, I remember somebody, if we were playing golf, somebody said, oh, you know, well, I remember after we lost to the Bulls. You know, that was a tragedy. I said, no, Iraq is a tragedy. This was just a basketball game. I usually recovered well, Tony. Usually usually a day after I had some thought, the mature Frank Layton used to step out. Mm-hmm. And I'd say, ah, what the hell, let's move on. You know what I mean? I never was worried. You know, a lot of coaches go crazy and they argue and they fight and everything because they're worried about their job. But I have to say this, I never never worried about my job. I always felt I could do something else. I felt I could broadcast. I could I could go back to high school coaching. I, I always felt there was other things I could do. You know, I kind of liked the theater. I was in Screen Actors Guild. I, I always thought maybe I'd go into acting or something like that. So, you know, I had other interests. And and I, like I mentioned before, umpiring, refereeing, what have you. I never worried about losing my job. I really didn't. And I always you know, did the best I could. And, and obviously most of the time that was, that was good enough. What is the meanest? I never got fired. Oh yeah. Yeah. What what was the meanest or worst thing you ever said to a ref? <laughs> I can't, I can't remember that. Come on, like where I were remember. you? You know, there was probably a classic uh, no, moment. I, I, I don't think I ever got personal with them. Sure. Or anything. No, nah, I don't. I can't remember. Just disagree you know, with their call. I, I don't know. Very... You'd have to ask the refs. What player did you feel was most underappreciated in all the years that you were coaching? When you watched them behind the scenes, you watched how they impacted the team, and then you watched the love they would or wouldn't get outside of that kind of circle within the group. Oh, I think that probably the most underrated player that the Jazz ever had was was Mark Eaton. You know, I think when when you look at how he anchored our defense, and you know, and offensively he didn't score a lot of points, but he was a force inside. You know, maybe he didn't get the rebound, but somebody else did. You know, he was he was a good rebounder, but what he was great he was a great outlet passer, and we always ran the great fast breaks. And we always were able to run. And a lot of that had to do with his ability to, 
to uh, West Unseld was probably the best outlet passer I've ever seen. And Mark used to watch films of him, and he was accurate. He could find our point guard, which was very important to us to get the first pass to the point guard, who was Ricky Green or John Stockton. And he, he was very accurate in his passing. And uh, he he probably, you know, when you look at the jazz teams, you always hear them mention Stockton and Malone and, you know, and Dantley and what have you, all the Hall of Famers. But I think uh, a guy that was uh, was uh, under underestimated, not by the coaches necessarily, because they did vote him to the All-Star team one year. I think it was uh, was Big Mark. Yeah. Do you you said and he the... also was the least. You know, I mean, when we when we took him, I I think it was us or or playing in Europe or something. But he made he had a great career, and he was a leader. People forget this. He was the captain of the team. Mark Deep was our captain. Thurl Bailey and him, mm-hmm. and then uh, let me see what else. Uh, he also was the head of the uh, Players Association. So he brought an intelligence with him that uh, was so important. And he was durable. You know, he, always, he, he was hurt, but he always played anyway. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't soft, that's for sure. Yeah, played through a lot for as long as he could. Yes. I've heard a lot of stories about that. Um, and and the other centers in the league were afraid of him. Oh, really? Yeah. I yeah. Mean, he, well, sure, because he's so big and strong. Not many times that many of the centers in the league look over their shoulder and see somebody looking back. <laughs> you you always said we were at lunch one time, and you said Carl Malone needed Utah and Larry H. Miller. You feel like great player, no doubt, but he had to have this market. You were around him from day one. What is it about well, Carl that had to have this place? I think I think Carl Malone brought a toughness with him that this franchise needed. Okay, his work ethic. You know, he and his demand of 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 work of work ethic to the other players. You know, I mean, you couldn't you couldn't just go in there and fake uh, lifting weights and stuff like that if he was in the if he was in the weight room. Everybody did their job, and he he was demanding of that. He was always on time. He was the first one there. He worked hard at his game, and he was uh, and and he respected the game. You know, he respected practice. He respected the coaches. And I think that, uh, and and also, don't forget that we had John Stockton. And you say, Stockton and Malone, isn't that great? I think the two of them fed off each other. Their work ethic, their, uh, their uh, uh, how, how they were able to, to fit into a system. And by the way, it was my leaving, I think, that added to all that. I think both Stockton and Malone became better players when they were coached by Jerry uh, Jerry Sloan. Yeah. I and think Jerry was perfect for them because he was he had that kind of toughness about him also. And he had the respect of them because they knew that he was a great player. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, we had – it was a wonderful thing. Uh, I was uh, not, In that case, it was a Trumvariate. Uh, but I think that uh, Stockton was, was better off. I think we were the right team for him. I think we were the right team for Carl Malone. And I think when Jerry fit in there – I think he he was he was the perfect coach for that uh, for that tandem. When you were stepping aside, you recommended him to be the head coach. What were oh, you? Oh yes, seeing? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Have, I wouldn't have left if if, he, if it hadn't been him to be the coach. Really? And uh, don't forget, my son Scott was the other guy, and I think he didn't get enough credit for what he uh, gave to it too. And I think Jerry would be the first one to to recognize that, as would uh, probably Carl and, 
and John. You know, Scott was quiet, but his input was terrific. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the reason we had those guys was because of Scott. He was the guy that said we should pick him. Scott ran the ran the drafts and uh, and told us who to pick, and uh, and we made some wonderful picks. Not just in those guys, though. You think of Bobby Hanson, or Bailey, or you know, so many of our, our other players that we got in the drafts that played well for us. You know, was there a moment or a memory that you can recall where you knew? Jerry Sloan would not just be the head coach of the team, but would be a great, long-tenured, you know, legendary coach of that team. You know, I think when Jerry came with us, all right, he said to me, he said, you know, what I'm missing is experience. He said, don't be afraid to teach me. And, you know, and we had a wonderful relationship. I don't think in the whole time Jerry was my assistant, that we ever, and I never thought of him as being my assistant. I always thought we were co-coaches, and I and I put Scott right in there with us. Uh, you know, we all uh, we listened to each other. If on the bench one of them made a suggestion, uh, you know, we, we'd react to it. We'd we'd act on it, and we got along so good that that there was no jealousy. There was no, you know, and and Jerry was so so good at saying, you know, when he took over coaching the Chicago Bulls and eventually got fired. Uh, he said, you know, I, I wasn't ready for the job. And so after a while of working with him and uh, and spending time with him and talking about coaching and what have you, and, you know, he had played for the great Dick Mata, which was a, a tremendous coach. He should be in the Hall of Fame. It's a, a tragedy he's not because he was one of the best coaches the NBA ever had. And uh, and uh, Jerry uh, learned a lot from him and then, uh, and then about sitting on the bench and, and preparing and what have you. And Jerry was just a sponge. And like I said, we never had a crossword. Never. And the whole time we were there. Never never said, you know, what are you doing? What Everything was, was – and that made coaching fun too and, and worthwhile. What did you feel was Jerry's biggest learning moment in those early years? Uh, you know, I, I think that the, the transfer, all right, for a lot of athletes, okay, is, is when your playing days are over. And you try to take your standards. Ted Williams tried managing and coaching, you know, and he couldn't do it because he couldn't ever bring people up to his level. He never could understand why everybody didn't do it like he did, you know, and he was so gifted. And yet, uh, and yet, uh, 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 you know, Jerry Sloan, who was this guy who worked hard and every, what he had to do, he had to learn to balance that that everybody wasn't Jerry Sloan, that there was different personalities. There were different tendencies of toughness. And uh, and he, as soon as he, one thing about Jerry, he's very, very good uh, about getting along. You know, even even people say he was tough and everything, but he, the referees liked Jerry. Jerry was pro-referee. Jerry was pro-NBA. He loved the game. He loved the, the, the professional basketball game. But I think, uh, you know, the fact that what he needed was some time on the bench and and and, uh, and listening and, and being asked his advice and being brought along. I remember the great Lou Conaseca telling me that he went right from St. John's to coach the Nets. And he said to me, he knew I was going to go from coaching Niagara right to be an assistant uh, to Ubi Brown with the uh, Atlanta Hawks. And he said, that's the best thing you could happen. He said, everybody needs a couple of years of being an assistant before he takes over as a head coach in the NBA. 
And I think that that was true for Jerry, and I think it was true for me also. Yeah, and anybody else for that matter. What was your yeah, you know, favorite? The, and you know, another great coach was Phil yeah. Johnson. Oh, yeah. We were very fortunate to have some wonderful coaches and some wonderful players who stayed here. They weren't looking to, this wasn't a training ground for them. They wanted to play for the Jazz. They wanted to be part of this organization. Yeah. I, I and always... they were treated very well by our owners, you know. Mm-hmm. Sam Batterstone was a great owner, and Larry Miller was a great owner. Great guys to play for. And there's nothing like that, right? <laughs> when you know your boss is a good oh, guy helps, to play yeah, for. Because yeah. authority comes from above. You know, I don't care whether you're a high school teacher or, or whatever it is, you're a policeman or what have you. Your authority comes from above. And unless you get support from above, you don't stand a chance. I don't care who you are. Because the players will read that. They'll understand it. This guy's this guy's in trouble, you know, and 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 they'll they'll side on the uh, with the, those people who are going to survive. It's just natural for people to be that way. I was in the army, and you know, it was the same thing for the officers. You better have the respect of the of the soldiers, and they better understand that you you you've earned that respect, and that you're getting backed up, or else uh, you're going to be uh, you're going to be in trouble. What was your favorite conversation with Jerry Sloan about anything away from the game? Like, did you guys talk about anything other than basketball? Oh, yeah. We talk, we'd talk about other athletes and other sports and baseball and, and boxing. And, you know, we were interested in a lot of different things. Yeah. We'd always be talking about other coaches or what have Al Davis or something. We'd be talking about him. That's all we did. That's all we did. We talked about sports. We talked about, you know. What's the best and, sports uh, argument you ever had with him? You know, was he, was oh, he, I can't, I, no, I can't remember. <laughs> was he really. like a Willie Mays guy and you're a Mickey Mantle guy? Was it, uh, you know? <laughs> no, no, no. no, I don't think we have argued about play. I used to, I used to give in to, to Jerry when I'd say how so-and-so is. And he'd see things in athletes that maybe I didn't see. Really? You know, he liked mental toughness and physical toughness and a guy's attitude, how hard he worked in, in, uh, in the practice and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No doubt he about saw, it. He saw good in a lot of guys. And, and I, a lot of players made our team because we liked them as people before we liked them as necessarily athletes. You know, you don't, it's not a track meet. And so it's not, you know, individual performances that are always going to win for you. So, you know, we, we, were, we were gifted with, with good guys who also were good people and, and loyal. And that's very important in, in having, a, having team teamwork. Team effort, you know? Yeah. Teamwork. What was the best example then of Jerry finding something in a player that maybe nobody else was? Well, I think that Jerry liked toughness, you know, and he believed if once, you know what happens is, I think, you know, if you look at Jerry's success, that once Jerry liked you and you, you could go out there and do the best you can and he would back you up on it, then your confidence went away up high, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, whether whether you know players came with us who were mediocre with other teams, and they joined us, and they saw that Jerry liked who they were, and they were better players uh, for it. He saw something in them that uh, made them better. And one thing about Jerry, he never second guessed. If we drafted players, uh, it could be Danny Shays, you know, we drafted him. There was a lot of criticism about it. But he, he right away started working with him, started uh, getting uh, you know on his side, and, and, and I think I think uh, Danny Shays ended up playing like eighteen years or something. 
Did you watch uh, The Last Dance, the episodes of that? No, I haven't. The, I haven't uh, watched it. I, 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 you know, I, I, I stay away from The Last Dance because I said I was in it. <laughs> I, don't watch, I don't watch too much of it. I have a lot of respect for, for Michael Jordan and, and, I, and, and Phil Jackson and, and that team. They were great. And, uh, you know, uh, we had our shots. And we were right there with them. We certainly weren't yeah. outclassed uh, by anything. You know, it was like being a Dodger fan when I was growing up and not to put up with the Yankees. <laughs> Imagine having the Yankees year in and year out, you know. Oh, it Until killed 55. It. <laughs> 1955, yes. And there was a great story about, uh, about 1955, you know, that that's the year that they signed. That was the, that was the year I got out of college and, that year, a good friend of mine, at the time we had played against each other a lot, both basketball and baseball, uh, was Sandy Koufax. And the Dodgers signed Sandy Koufax that year. And, of course, Sandy, Sandy, uh, uh, his mother insisted that he never play in the minor leagues. And Sandy even went to college instead for a year. He played basketball at Cincinnati, at the University of Cincinnati, and he was a good player. And then and he was right from Brooklyn. He could have walked to the Yankee to the Ebbets Field. And anyway, he signed up. And he had to play in the major leagues. Well, the Dodgers had to cut somebody. They had to send somebody back to the minor leagues, and they sent back Tommy Lasorda. Yeah, whatever so happened Lasorda to that guy? Was not, huh? <laughs> yeah, whatever and happened Tommy to that Lasorda, guy? <laughs> Tommy Lasorda never was on the championship team. He was on in the beginning of the year because I think. They signed, uh, you know, signed uh, Sandy in June, so he was on the beginning. I guess he got a championship ring. But that great team at the end of the year in the World Series, Tommy was in there. And that's a great story about uh, about sports too. So they they became very good friends later on, obviously. You know. Yeah. Both of them Dodgers forever. When you talk about, and we're going to have a lot of Dodger conversations in here because you uh, you went to a few games, let's say, uh, in your years growing up in Brooklyn. But what do you remember most about those years with the Utah Jazz and being around the finals and contending for a championship and just what that experience was like for someone in your position? Well, you know what? It's uh, the competition. You know, it's one thing to play. People say how long the season is. You know, you play 82 games. and then the playoffs are long. And I had been in the league when the, the, the first round of the playoffs was two out of three. Then it went three out of five. Now it's, of course, four out of seven. And, uh, you know, you play this long, long season. The difference between high school, college, where you play maybe 20, 20 games and 22 games in high school and then 26, 28 games in college and then 100 games in the pros, you know, it wears you out. And if you're losing, if you're on a bad team like the early days of the Jazz, well, it's it's like a dog's life. It, it, the, you think the season's long. It's forever. It's a killer. You know what I mean? And so you, you don't want to uh, – I mean, it, it wears you out. So when you're in the hunt and you have something every day to get up for and to practice for, it makes practices easier. It makes it, makes it more fun that you're, you're, you're competing. And that people are talking about you and you're in the national news and everything else. And I used to say to the players, you know, you you, you get to the playoffs and you, you go deep in the playoffs and you're enhancing your worth. You know, you're going to make more money because of it. So it should be worthwhile to you. Yeah, by all means. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. 
Um, when you, you talked about you were able to kind of, uh, you know, get over a loss a little earlier and things like that. And move on. I got over, yes. In fact, but, I was criticized several times uh, by people who said I, I ta- that I, I take losing too easily. And that was not the case. I just felt that I cannot dwell on those things that I have no control over. Mm-hmm. In other words, if, if, if we lost, we lost. I, I can't do anything about that. It might come because of bad, bad calls. You know, it might come because of foolish uh, substituting. Uh, maybe it's the coach's fault. Maybe it's the player's fault. Maybe we also got beat because the other team is better. And what can we do about that? There's nothing wrong with that. You know, and I think that, uh, you know, I cannot think of a time in which uh, maybe, maybe, I mean, maybe early in the playoffs, uh, one time I lost, we had, uh, we were playing in the playoffs and we lost to the Warriors early or something. And I thought we had probably a better team, but most of the time, uh, you know, when the war, when the, when the Bulls beat the Jazz, I think the Bulls were better than we were. And I think, uh, you know, we got, we lost a couple of times. We had an opportunity to, to beat Houston when Houston won the two in a row there. But those things happen. Hey, that's fine. Uh, you know, I, like I said to, uh, before about talking to Pat Riley and having that seven-game series with with a great, great uh, Laker team, and 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 you know, uh, losing to them, it was fun. It was fun being in those kind of games and competing like that. Wow, at the highest possible level in the world. You know what can I say? How did you, you were talking about how, uh, just back to this, that, you know, after a loss, you let it go, you move on. What was Jerry like in the times you had a chance to be around him and behind the scenes about, because he always seems to be that, all right, next step, no matter what, just dialed in, focused all the time. But behind the scenes, when we, didn't, but when, when we didn't have a chance to see him, was he the same exact way? Yes, he was consistent. What you saw was what you got. And Jerry was not the type to hold grudges, and he, he he would hold people accountable, you know. I mean, if we lost the game, we shouldn't have lost. And the next day at practice, he would let the players know. Uh, but then once it was over, it was over. He moved on. I think good coaches have to do that. Boy, if you let things burn to, you know. Uh, people you said to me, did I get ulcers? I said, no, I was a carrier. I caused ulcers, but I didn't get them, you know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't, I never, I never, uh, worried about things too long. I mean, I could carry a burden with me, uh, after a game was over, we had our talk, uh, we, we, we evaluate, we say, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about where we came up short, but I never, I never thought, I, I always thought that one thing about the NBA, you never played a bad team mm-hmm. and you never played against a bad coach. So losing was not certainly, you know. Uh, a disgrace at any time. What was the hardest conversation you ever had to have? When I cut a player. Mm-hmm. When you cut a veteran, yeah. I remember cutting Billy Pauls and uh, after a long career and everything. And I said to him, Billy, I got to let you go. And I knew Billy. I knew Billy. I had, I had been an assistant at St. John's when uh, when we had recruited him there. So I knew him a long time. He had a chance with us, and that was tough. He said, well, instead of cutting me for the season, I why don't you let me lose my lose my career or end my career on the floor? And I said, I just can't do that. You know, we've got to move on. Oh, and that was tough. tough it was just going to be one more game. Yeah. Is that what he's asked for? Just one yeah. more game? Wow. 
Yeah, they, everybody feels that way, you know. Oh, sure. The next one will save their jobs. Yeah, and it's tough. Cutting players is tough, you know. Uh, to uh, Players will say, why me? I'm better than so-and-so. And I said, maybe you are, you know. But also I used to say, there's, there's 29 other teams out there. So, you know, somebody somebody will, will recognize it that you, you yeah. can play. Well, I, I always and, think about this. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you know, and, and so you, and I hope they do get picked up. But that's also what I mentioned right in the beginning here. I never worried about being fired because I thought there was other things I could do, and I was ready to do that. All right? And so I think the thing is with players that a lot of times intellectually – uh, they're not ready to not play basketball. They've they've put everything in their lives up to that time in being able to play, uh, you know, professional sports. They make it, they make the money, and then they find out that the money isn't the end of it. What do I do now with my life? It's hard. And uh, they're retired at 29 years old or 27 years old or whatever it is. It's over. And they don't know what to turn to next. You know, there's only so many guys that can do broadcasting or whatever it happens to be, you know? Yeah. What moment did you feel in all your coaching years? Because I think about this all the time. There's so much that can impact whether or not a team's playing well or not, and everybody wants the answer for it. And and sometimes we in the media and in the public will never really get to know that. But was there a moment in your coaching career that you thought, you know what, that had the biggest impact on the way our team played positively or negatively, and no one will ever know? Tony, we were a family. And uh, and I say that because the families have ups and downs. You know, today, uh, uh, over the weekend, I had a call that this was uh, the 25th anniversary of uh, of Terry Furlow getting killed in an auto accident. And Terry Furlow was a very good player. He was on our team, which in the team wasn't very good. Uh, you know, we had Bill Robinson who committed suicide. Uh, you know, uh, things go on in your lives. Uh, and, and with your family, uh, John Drew, one of my favorite guys, a player that I had known when I was an assistant with the Atlanta Hawks. And I had him over my house for Thanksgiving dinner. I mean, you know, he knew my kids and everything else, and he was a drug addict. So, I mean, you know, the, the, you, you go through all the things that, that families do or or what have you, and you put up with life and death and everything else. And sometimes it brings brings you back to reality. That the things you're emphasizing, uh, maybe you should ma- make them stronger. And that's why I always thought it was important that we had chapel service, for instance. Mm-hmm. That we had a wives club. That we showed the players we were interested in them as people above and beyond just playing basketball. And I don't know how many times I would mention it over and over again. Remember, basketball is temporary. You know, you're going to you're going to be out there and, and, you, and you can't play golf every day. You can't play tennis every day. You know, you prepare your life for after uh, basketball is over. And I, I think a lot of our players did that and were happier, I think, for it. And I think more and more coaches have to do that, whether it's in, you know, the high school level when you say, hey, you're not going to play in college or the college player. You're not going to make it in the pros. Mm-hmm. Are you prepared to move on with your life and to do something else? And that's why it's important, you know, that you emphasize getting education, you know, uh, encouraging the players to, to, to go back and finish their, their uh, education. They've got enough time. Often most of the schools love to have them back. 
and go back and get your education, finish your degree. I remember Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Danley telling me the proudest moment of her life was not the Olympic gold medal at, at uh, Adrian won or the All-Star Games he participated in or winning the scoring titles. It was getting his diploma at Notre Dame, which really was, was you know, she realized such an important step in that family's life. I, I'd say this to coaches and urge coaches, that if you go above and beyond, like, for instance, the wives club, take, looking after the players' wives, the players are they're on the road a lot. They're away, and the wives can get bored and everything else. They're young ladies. They just got married. They, you know, and and they're in a strange city and everything else. And if you show interest in in helping the family, and and by the way, this is also the the people that work in the offices and everything else. I mean, we always made a point of having a big Christmas party, and and having a. Uh, I always like to have a, what I call the team picture. A picture of all the people that work for the Jazz plus the team. A real team picture because, you know, it took a lot of people, not just the 12 guys on the team and the coaching staff, but it took a lot of people to put a winning team out there uh, day in and day out. So, you know, and, and when you do that, the people are going to work harder for you. Oh, yeah. You know, I remember one, one lady, I was out at the practice site, and this lady said, I said, oh, I see you're still working here. And she was mopping the floor, and she said, Yes, I'm getting this ready. She says Coach Sloan likes to have a clean place to work every day, you know. And she was playing a role in our winning. You know that's why we were such a special organization, because we not only had the best, the best players and the best coaches and the best trainers and everything, but we had the best ushers and the best, the best people, the best secretaries and the best, you know, salespeople and everything. Our whole organization. We were the New York Yankees of basketball. I really believe that. Based on, yeah, the way people were treated, you were saying. Because when I introduced, exactly. I introduced Daryl Griffith, I'm out there on the court doing the MC work, and I'm out there, and Daryl Griffith is going to help throw out some basketballs. And I'm thinking, oh, this is great. No, this is fantastic. Daryl Griffith never went to a Western Conference final, never went to an All-Star game, Never went like there's all these things. I mean, th- this guy has a career that's that's good. He's a good, you know, NBA player. He is not going to sniff the Hall of Fame uh, as a NBA player. And we walk out there, and I introduce him to the crowd, and you would have thought he was every bit as instrumental as Stockton alone. I mean, just the the sure. roar of that crowd is yeah. is what you're saying because because you had a chance to be around him more than I ever did in my career, but. Is is what happened there behind the scenes? Did that foster some of what you're talking about? Yes, of course. And I think he he appreciated he appreciated playing for the team. And he and by the way, we got a great player. Every player we got from Louisville, and I'm going to give the credit to Denny Crum. I think that, that Louisville had a great coach, and their players knew how to practice. They knew how to dress for practice. They knew how to be on time, and they knew how to be respectful to the coaches. And I'll tell you one thing, and you bring up Daryl Griffith, you're bringing up one of the best guys, best people that ever played for the Jazz. He was something special. He was never a guy that, you know, that say, hey, we need somebody to go over to Midvale and, and uh, make an appearance tonight. Anybody here is have his hand up. I, I can run over there, Coach. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it, you know. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, they were they were special guys. And they were, they were I think the, the community recognized it. I think they recognize that those players were something special. Yeah. What people talk a lot 
about how close it was for this team not being here anymore or at all. And now we know how long they've been here since, and it's there's a great history and, and tradition. Just how close was this team to not being here? And what was that experience like for you? Were you looking at houses in other places? Were you like, how did that? We ex- certainly we certainly were giving it thought. I mean, uh, you know, we could have been the Minnesota Jazz. We could have been the Vancouver Jazz. We could have been the Toronto Jazz. Instead of expansion, the league used to give teams an opportunity to move if they were not making money, if they were having problems. And, uh, yeah, we, we came on a couple of occasions. Uh, that that could have been the case. We could have moved and left. And I'll tell you, there was a lot of people here who, you know, uh, did everything they could. Uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm trying to think of, uh, uh, you know, for instance, uh, one time I had a, uh, a, with John Huntsman, he had a, a phone call and I went up to see him and we talked and everything. And he said, if the Jazz ever come close to leaving, if you ever hear that they're leaving, you know, for any reason, you make sure you get in touch with me first. He said, I'll do everything to keep them here. And I know he was good friends with with Rick Majerus. And uh, he would have loved to have bought the Jazz and and had Rick Majerus be part of the team in some, in some capacities, coach or general manager or something. Yeah. So, you know, uh, but there were a lot of people who, who were very interested in keeping the Jazz here for the obvious reasons. I mean, you know, there's only 30 of them in the whole world. And uh, in this city, a small city, a small uh, uh, market, uh, fortunate not only to have, have a, a team, but to have a good team. There's no bad cities. There's only bad teams, you know. And I used to think of us in terms of we're kind of the Green Bay of the of the NBA. 